0: Outlined how accounting Good fuck. So what? Did not. What,
1: what kind of likeness is that? Feature. If they were great artists, they will be in a museum. I'm, I'm fucking fodder for cartoonists now.
2: All right, it's time for another episode of gutter boys gutter boys is a small press comics podcast about the ins the outs the highs and the lows of making comics i'm your host jb with my co-host cam the real cam this time
0: jasper did do a good job though uh, yeah he was seamless it down yeah. yeah he was he was cooking um also <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that guy I got i gotta stand up for my filipinos aj dungo <laughs> was a nice guy when i met him at spx 2019
2: (laughs) oh shit okay you have met him nice pinoy
0: pride uh rockna and caroline are very into aj dungo's work which is why i'm kidding
2: i I, you know what i've already forgotten what the context of aj dungo was uh he was doing some book about a book i think (laughs) oh yeah okay 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 it was the one that we made fun of yeah all right but
0: no, 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 no. I'm yeah. not. I'm not condemning you all for making fun of him. I just want to say, AJ Dungo, if you are listening by any chance, he's not. Sorry about your last name, bro. But cool dude.
2: <laughs> no, if anything, uh, big ups on that last name. That wasn't the other guy's named name, Diaper. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
3: no, I
2: think I think Jasper called him Diaper. I don't think that's his actual <laughs> last name. <laughs> Uh, Anyway, on this episode, we're joined with uh, cartoonist and small press publisher of Domino Books, Austin English, uh, to talk about his newest comic, Meskin and Umezo. Really, really cool dude. Very interesting discussion, uh, talking about uh, small press publishing and sort of what that's like on the front lines for him, as well as uh, discussing his process and his approach to comics, which is, I guess you could say, very non-traditional. Yeah. Uh, But very, very good stuff. It It was good to have him on the show.
0: Hopefully uh, we can have him back because it was a pretty long episode, but despite that, um, I feel like we didn't even really get too deep into anything. I feel like he does so many things that uh, weren't really able to crack too much, but not to say it's not a good interview. Uh, There's just a lot going on with that dude.
2: Yeah. I mean, we mentioned that uh, there's definitely a lot of other stuff we'll be able to talk about, so we're going to have him on a Patreon at some point. So he'll be back. Uh, just give us that sweet moolah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you'll know what's up. Uh, but yeah, so uh, like Camp said, this interview ran pretty long. It was well over an hour. So we're going to keep the intro pretty short. Uh, just a heads up on the next main feed episode, we have a bunch of shout outs to cover as well as listener questions, something that we haven't done in a while uh, that isn't tied to or related to uh, uh, an interview with a guest. You know, the one that I'm thinking of is a very good question. So that should. Uh, take up a good chunk of time to discuss Uh, so yeah i guess we'll just get right into the interview Uh, so we're going to take a quick break and when we return we'll be joined with austin english so
1: stay tuned we'll be right back one day while combing the beach ambar and alana discovered a pair of beautiful medallions what happened next changed their lives forever the santos sisters will have you laughing from cover to cover as they fight crime date dumb dudes and just deal with everyday life as young women in the world coming in at a whopping 56 pages this comic is printed with a four-color web press on Decadent Newsprint. All that for just five bucks? The number one source for underground comics in Chicago, Quimby's, says this about our comic. A style that's part Archie, part superhero, part snark, but it's all fun. And we think that's just sick. The Santos Sisters is available now in select comic book stores and online at santosisters.com.
2: Athenium Comic Art is an original art website for some of the best cartoonists in the business. They currently represent Remy Boydell, Marie Capelle France, Nicole Gu, Jonathan Hill, Emma Hunsinger, Casey Nowak, Micah Song, and Tilly Walden. Athenium Comic Art gives fans the opportunity to own original piece of art from their favorite comics and support the artists that they love. In their short time in business, they've already shipped many iconic pages out to hardcore fans across the globe. Don't miss out on your chance to own a -a one-of-a-kind piece of history. Check out their website, atheniumcomicart.com, and type in Guttergang at checkout to receive free shipping on your first order. Again, the website is atheniumcomicart.com, and the code is Guttergang. the same old comics why not try clusterfucks comics instead clusterfucks comics is a black-and-white anthology comic scene featuring some of the best underground comics creators today creators like Adam Uter Brian Judge Isaac Roller Cameron Zavala Miguel Aguilar Dylan Henty Jared Cody Wolfe Paparotti, Umberto Tanella, Matthew Grant and so many more you haven't heard of any of those people well fuck you Grab a copy and discover their amazingness today, you uncultured swine. The first three issues are available now, with the fourth issue debuting in April. So go grab your copy today at CamisComic comics with an X, or follow them on Instagram at ClusterFux Comics. Clusterfox Comics. Comics you can cluster fucks with. The Last Aviatrix is a post-nuclear adventure comic by independent Los Angeles-based cartoonist Buster Cagle. The story follows Summer, our last aviatrix, who pilots the sole surviving airplane, a nuclear-powered B-29. As she travels the ruined world, finding ways to survive and help humanity, while dealing with the eminent threat of the Atomborn, a rare breed of atomic wizards that want to see her out of the sky, her mission becomes complicated when she accidentally picks up Henry, an Atomborn child who wields incredible power, and Clementine, a berserker on a quest for vengeance. Can our aviatrix survive this ruined and irradiated waste Land? Every issue can be read for free on bustercaglecom comics. Paper copies can be ordered as well, but, you know, you can still read it for free. If you like Wizards or Warplanes, go check it out.
0: Hey, Gutter Gang. Cam here to tell you about Soggy Landing again, longtime supporter of the podcast. They recently sent us printed copies of the first three chapters to review, and are currently posting chapter four online with updates on Instagram. And while I personally haven't seen any of chapter four since I don't read web comics, I can tell you the first three chapters are really fun to read and full of weed-smoking wizards and hijinks. They've also been contributors to Rust Belt Review, issues three and four, with some soggy side stories, so make sure to check those out too. You can read Soggy Landing over on Study Group Comics and over on Instagram at Ian Densford or at welcome two underscore soggy underscore landing soggy landing
1: hell yeah dude now back to our program
0: And welcome back from the break. Today, we are joined by cartoonists from San Francisco, by the way, of Brooklyn, New York now, fresh off the release of his new comic, Meskin and Umezzo, from Domino Books. Uh, today, we are joined by Austin English. What's up, man?
3: Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Of course, I'm man. It's been a while. i excited to do this. Yeah, it's
0: uh, you've been uh, somebody I wanted to talk to for a while, so to finally have you on, uh, you know, it's actually a treat. Just to give the listeners a little bit of a primer, you've been doing comics for, God, I know of at least a decade, and uh, you've been running Domino Books, which is a store that I order from, and I think everybody else that's into our little corner of the world of comics is probably aware of. But if you don't know about those, we're going to talk for the next hour or so about what those things are. So before we uh, get into all that, though you know, what you've been up to
3: in general, or just, I mean, not anything that would be much surprise, you know, I'm just working on, um, I I can't say that I've, um, since finishing the book that I've been, um, drawing as much as I normally do. I have, um, in the last year, I've been slowly working on a new comic. I've been trying to start just a, a one person anthology comic, but I've been so, I guess I can say I've just been so spread thin, uh, doing, uh, a lot of different stuff so I just feel that um, yeah I, if there's one thing to maybe discuss about doing things like Domino or maybe you guys with, with all the things you do I mean you're a working cartoonist but you're also doing something that involves other people and is more of a community based thing with this podcast just there's just so many little things involved with working with other people's work that I'm a little behind on working on uh, my own stuff but yeah no I'm teaching um, I, uh, I work on Domino uh, every day to, to some extent uh, some sometimes much more than um like i there was a a string of days last week where i was working a bunch of 12-hour days in a row oh shit and then yeah just all kinds of stuff all kinds of comics related things
0: where are you uh teaching at
3: i teach at um uh parsons um and at sva and i I teach some studio classes at parsons and i teach just a a course about comics at, at sva both in new york
0: okay and how long have you been doing that
3: I've been teaching at SVA now for about four years and Parsons, just different, like kind of rotating different classes for about three years. But uh, yeah, I just, I've I've been doing these studio classes at Parsons for about three years now. But they're not, they're not comics classes. They're like, they're, they're general, they're kind of just like general art classes. One of them is just a core studio drawing class for sophomores, but they do, it is really interesting. They, um, I think more so than when I knew young people in art school, when I was in college, I didn't go to art school, but when I knew people that were going- I don't know if um people outside of the people I knew were naturally inclined to make comics but I have to say like almost all my students when you give them an assignment that isn't comic centric they do tend to drift to comics much more than I think would have been the case in the past.
0: Oh that's interesting. Mm. Okay, is that like when you say the past do you mean in general or do you mean just like you know in the 4 years you've been doing this?
3: I no I think just well I mean then it just becomes anecdotal but like when I was in college I don't think art People that I met, like people in art school, people my age in art school, again, there were certainly people that liked comics or wanted to make them, but I don't think it, it just feels more universal with the students I work with now. Even if they don't seem that into comics culture or whatever, they do seem to naturally, like this core studio drawing class I taught last semester for sophomores, I would say that every student in the class wanted to eventually work doing comics and it's not, there's no comics program at Parsons. And I do think it's that they're, I would say almost all of them are, they're all manga readers. Um, But they're not, they're not like how we, you know, like probably when we were young, it's like you have some kind of identity as being a comic book reader or whatever. It's like some kind of thing. And, you know, obviously we all still have that as part of, (laughs) as part of our identities. But I think for them, it's just another natural thing that they're into that they're going to try out.
2: That's interesting you bring that up because when I was going to school, you know, my focus was drawing and uh, there were a couple of classmates I had that did do comics or tended to lean more towards that format but there was always like an air of like a negative connotation to that so I think that might have shifted since then yeah
3: and I wonder I mean I don't know what other uh, professors in this school are like but I do think that it um, it does just seem like another just another natural path that people go down and um, are just just naturally feel like they have some history with the me and I really I mean I think they have a history with the medium with manga I mean I don't think most of the students i have even at sva it's like it's they have a comics program and this is something that i think has changed in the four years that i've been there it seems to me that people in their early 20s are in the beginning when i taught at sva yeah there were definitely people reading pamphlet you know marvel and dc stuff and some some but much less than you think alternative comic stuff art comic stuff but the Predominantly four years ago, it was mostly manga readers, and now the general sense I get is that it's like most of these, like, 19 and 20 year olds, they seem to mostly be engaged with manga exclusively. I mean, I'm sure there's anomalies, and I'm sure there's people I'm not getting a sense of what they're tasting and what they're interested in, but that's what they seem most aware of, and they seem to know the history of in the way that maybe when we were that age, we would have known the history of alt comics or, or um, you know, mainstream comics.
2: Yeah, no, I can uh, echo that point. That was definitely something I saw. And, you know, I graduated in 2012. So not that long ago.
3: And it's, I think it's good. I mean, it seems very healthy. I think it's, um, it seems natural. And it seems like the people that are into it, it, it seems like a universal, you know, student to student, no matter what their background is or what kind of student they are, it seems like something that they're all just naturally interested in. And I think as someone who loves comics, I that's encouraging to me that it's, it just proves that it's a natural medium that anyone can be attracted to without the connotation of being exactly someone like me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and I think that also speaks to sort of the cultural impact of comics in Japan and how that sort of spread out globally compared to, uh, I guess, the current status of comics in North America. I, I feel like in Japan they take the comic medium more seriously, or at least they don't relegate it to just being this like children's thing that's meant for like Disney adaptations.
3: Yeah, or they yeah or, yeah I, I agree. I think maybe they just wanted to be enjoyable. You know, I think that might yeah. be, <laughs> that seems healthy.
2: Yeah. It's more connected to like the everyday lived life right? there compared to here, you know, like you're not going to see some like random suit business guy, uh, you know, reading a Chris Ware book on the bus or whatever. Like well, it's and I think not a thing. sometimes, yeah, sometimes. So I
0: think it's more so integrated into the culture there and not like a subculture.
2: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
3: Oh, totally, yeah, and but I think here it's like, um, I mean, I go um, uh, on Wednesdays. I you know I go to pick up new comics in a mainstream comic book store because it's just going? a habit.
0: I've, Not to dox you, but
3: I <laughs> lately I've been going to um, Midtown Comics, the um, the Grand Central location. Okay, but okay. Yeah, I go all around, and really, I just go. I mean. I go because it's a habit I've never been able to break my whole life. And I do find myself, I think every, I mean, everybody goes through this. I find myself like searching for stuff that I'd actually enjoy reading when I get home. And, but when I go in there on Wednesday, I, um, you know, even on Wednesday, it feels it's, it's, you know, there's people in there, but it's pretty sedate. But then if you go around the corner to uh, Kunakineo, like just a few blocks away, I mean, and it's not even, you know, their day for new releases is Tuesday, but um, when you go there on Wednesday right after, it's like, it's packed. I mean, Is that a manga shop? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like a Japanese bookstore and they have like a gigantic manga section and it's just like, I mean, it's kind of hard to like get around there, you know? I mean, it's like, it's like wall to wall people. So, and that feels good. I mean, that feels yeah. healthy.
0: Are you buying something every Wednesday? like? Because I go every Wednesday too, but this year I made a promise to myself that I don't have to buy something every time. I was always trying to like at least throw the shop some money, but are you finding something to buy every week or do you just walk in, browse, and leave? What's your experience like in the mainstream shop?
3: I think I have the same guilt that you do where if I go into any bookshop, I mean, if I go into a used bookstore, I can't – you know, having – I've worked in so many bookstores that I'm just – I just can't leave and not buy something because I right. feel like I'm paying for my time in this space. But I, I do have to say going into mainstream comic shops – and it might just be because I'm not as engaged as I should be. I – yeah, I struggle. I really do struggle to – um find stuff you know so i you know maybe i'll just buy like a you know i tend to buy like a lot of cheap reprints of stuff you know those one dollar reprints that they do but yeah i mean i can't i kind of have fallen off going uh, that much now because i really and it's just because i'm not you know I just don't know what's, I don't have anyone that I know that is into that particular form of the medium anymore. So I hate to write any aspect of comics off because we never really know what's, what's truly happening in any corner. We only know what we, you know, we we only know a a snapshot of it. But I, for me personally, I just have no basis to what to look for anymore. And when I just try to scan the, when I try to scan the racks, I, I do have a hard time finding stuff that I'm, that I'm legitimately excited about.
0: Yeah, I think that's more so my experience with it is it just seems like a flood of content and not good content. Like they could condense, you know, the nine Green Lantern books that they have into one or two. And I feel like, you know, they're just overstretching, you know, everything right now, just trying to get as much content out as possible.
3: Yeah, That's what it seems like. But I mean, there must be some I mean, there must be some model that they think works or I mean, who knows? I just they it must somehow meet the bottom line or, or be right. enough to justify research and development. I mean, it seems to me so dysfunctional that I I am like, how could this work on any level? But I you know, <laughs> must I mean people are collecting salaries and they're they're paying the real estate on the places that they pump these things out of. I mean yeah. it seems it seems like they've been, had short sighted goals for decades and decades, and maybe those short sighted goals are circling in circling them into a uh, you know an ever narrower corner. But I have no idea. You know, I mean people probably look at. The community of comics that we're a part of and they could say the same thing you know that, that things seem you know maybe the readership of our corner of comics seems to be forever shrinking and you know we're on the inside of it so we're like well that may be true but there's this beautiful thing being made here there's this being made here uh, you know you're missing the larger picture and there i mean i'm playing devil's advocate to a huge degree because it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like there's a rich bigger picture that i'm missing but you know i i uh, anything's possible
0: Yeah, well, I do want to talk about your work, but since we're already talking retail and retail spaces, I do want to talk about Domino Books, and just it just seems like a natural progression to go there. Oh, sure. So, you know, it is one of the tried and true pillars of indie comics distribution, so thank you for that, for giving creators a place where they can sell things, but also, it seems like it's very well curated uh, by your vision for what it is. What do you think when you think about Domino Books? Like, what's the mission statement? what do you want to achieve with that? I know that's kind of a big question, but if you had to distill it,
3: Oh no, that's a fine question. I um I mean, the thing that I always try to say and I I get that it might not make much sense or might sound disingenuous is that I kind of think of it as anti-curated in that. Um, and I've said this in the past that there's things on the site that aren't necessarily my taste because I'm not so interested in my own taste and I think that's kind of like a false narrative to fall into that it's like I'm a you know, I have a view on what's good or what's important and I, I curate things through my own taste. I don't think. Um, any one person's grasp on any medium is particularly interested in, I'm more interested in a portrait of what's happening in any given movement that's mm-hmm. as expansive as one person can handle, and I'm interested in it being left to, on, on one level I'm interested in being left to the readers, but I'm more interested, but I'm equally interested in um, if, if something comes in that I see out in the wild or or someone sends me something, and it has something to it that I can't necessarily engage with myself, but there's something to it that seems intriguing, or, or you know, it has, it has something to it that seems legitimate. If I bring that in, and this happens a lot, someone who's interested in that will contact me that I never would have been able to seek out through that random connection of bringing in a book or bringing in an artist that I don't understand or has no connection to me or I just don't, can't wrap my mind around, or maybe even somewhat dislike. And that'll bring in someone who does get that, who I might be more into or more close to my own personal tastes that I never would have been able to have a connection to unless I brought in that other book. And the more that I do that, and I, it's it sounds like a strange thing, but I do really think it works. The more I do that, the more the the store and the distribution and the site and the overall project operates as something more interesting than my own dictation of of what I what I'm capable of being into at any given time. It's more of a project that everyone is authoring. And I know that sounds like it might seem <laughs> overly spacey or or uh new agey but i I think it really it really creates like a way of way of seeing what people are doing creatively in comics that isn't limited by my limited thinking
0: Mm -hmm. and do you have a criteria for what you sell like do you sell anything that anybody sends you like how do you go about like finding books to stock
3: I think the only thing that I wouldn't stock is something that seems, um, stuff that has some kind of cynical quality in how it's submitted to me. If someone's blind emailing places, if it's just a cover letter and the work doesn't personally appeal to me, then I probably... <laughs> I probably don't want to work with it just because what's the, what's the point? It's just probably not going to, it's probably going to be more trouble than it's worth. But if something maybe doesn't appeal to me, maybe something seems very amateurish, but it has some kind of, and I don't mean it has to have like someone writing to me saying like, oh, please help me. If it just has some kind of, if there's one of the two, if the work has something interesting to me or there's some kind of way in which it's submitted that feels legitimate and honest uh, and whatever my current, you know, current definition in my own mind of what honest is, then I want to try to find the time to work with it. But then, of course, there's stuff that comes in that that people send all the time that I really am immediately excited by. And I might be a, a little more on it. That might become the top priority of something to work with. But the stuff that might come from a different trajectory, I definitely make a note and loop back around to it. And then, I, I really do think with art in general, like you come to understand things that you didn't understand initially. I don't think, um, uh, you'd never surround yourself with a group of friends that's like, these are people that think like me and I, <laughs> I like, I like their opinions and I like the way they express themselves. Those are the kind of people, those are the only kind of people I want to be around. You, you know, you surround yourself with all kinds of stuff, even stuff, you know, people that you don't understand or connect with immediately. And I don't, I think art is, operates on a pretty similar system
0: now uh this is actually kind of going to a project that you have with domino books but you did a phenomenal interview with uh porcelino in an issue of comic Art, and um you uh were talking mainly about you know his you know involvement with spit and a half and i kind of feel like you're a spiritual successor to spit and a half as far as like a place where you can go to buy one thing and find nine other things that look cool He mentioned that it takes up like all of his time. You mentioned that you were working pretty long weeks. Does Domino take up the majority of your week, like the retail side of things? Or have you found a pretty good balance with, uh, you know, making work and teaching and everything?
3: Currently it's taking up way too much time. I mean, it's, and and I, I like working and I enjoy doing it, Mm -hmm. but it is, it's, yeah. I mean, right now I have to figure out a way to make it because it's, you know, there's like 400 things on there. And, um, that means communicating with the people who make them, you know, the people who send them in, you know, packing up all the orders every week takes about, you know, every week it takes a, it takes a couple of days, a couple of like eight hour days. And, um, you know, then just all the, I mean, there's, there's just so many, there's so much communication with the readers, people asking questions, the artists, and just your own ability, you're, you know, then you're the third actor in it. And I, I do think, I mean, I'm just in the, and you know, this isn't too, uh, exciting, but I'm just in that space where I, I have, um, not enough money to hire someone to work all the time. And I could really use that. I do have someone coming in every other uh, week. Someone named Floyd Tangman who um, works on assisting Domino with stuff. But he's a he's a really you know notable comic artist and uh, anthology editor and force on his own so I wouldn't want to just define him as um, as an assistant to Domino but he does help out with Domino a lot and he's great because he gets the whole, he gets what it's all about and I don't really have to break much down to him He's and he's also extremely helpful in general, you know, he's, he's a very enthusiastic person so he'll, things like doing Domino wholesale, it was something I'd been flirting with or, or trying to wrap my head around and as I started working with him he thought it was a really good idea, kind of fleshed it out a little bit with me but other than that I don't have, um, he comes in every other week. So yeah, I mean, it just, you know, I wake up now and there's just so much stuff to do on it that I don't really choose what to do. I kind of just do (laughs) what needs to be done that day. right? And I definitely, I mean, I'm I'm fine with doing that for a little while, but um, yeah, I definitely have to find a way to make it a, a little more streamlined.
2: Hell yeah. So as someone who runs a small press publisher... Uh, what are your opinions about small press publishing as a sustainable business today?
3: I mean, I'm the, the part that I'm least interested in doing with Domino is the publishing. I mean, I, I think working with, with self-published work, especially distributing it at wholesale, um, is what I'm most interested in because I don't – I mean, there's some artists that aren't going to want to – they're not going to want to publish themselves. They don't want to print copies. They don't want to have 500 copies of their thing sitting around their apartment. Right. Totally makes sense. But I just don't, I think my big thing in comics that I'm most interested in is, is building readership. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's enough readership in our corner of comics to really justify for people making off the beaten path material. I don't think there's enough readers of that kind of stuff right now to justify a publisher as well. If you're doing something really not commercial, but if you're doing something that has more of a a context for people, yeah, a publisher is great because you're not going to be able to handle the demand for something that that is a little more, you know, a little more tried and true. But for the stuff that I'm most interested in, I don't think many of these artists necessarily need to work with a publisher if they could just, you know, if they could just figure out a way to distribute the work on their own, which I don't think is as hard as they, as, as a lot of people think. But I'm also really convinced that, um, Publishers could also do a better job with experimental material. I think there's kind of a vague sense of apology for some of this kind of material from publishers where they, um, you know, they're working with something that is a bit, uh, you know, I mean, maybe in the mid nineties would have been their bread and butter, but maybe now is a little more, uh, a little stranger than their current audience that they're aiming for might accept, maybe a more traditional bookstore audience. So they kind of put it out and it's not their A material. I mean, I'm sure they love it, but, um, I think if they verbalize that stuff on a, a little more unapologetically, the readership for that stuff would make a little more sense coming from a publisher. But for right now, it seems a little off. I mean, most, I think most people making, um, making harder than normal material are definitely not supporting themselves from publishers' checks, which is, you know, I mean, that's not the point. That's not the point of all this stuff. I mean, I think getting your work, I and mean, you know, a publisher can get you in libraries, a publisher can widen your audience to, to an extent. Um, but I, I do think, in terms of generating the um, funds to put out another project, I think there might have been a better context for that for someone publishing an experimental black and white comic in the early days of the direct market. And now, Just by doing it themselves, I think you'd have a better chance of generating your own bankrolling your next project through that rather than doing it through a publisher. But that's, you know, there's obviously merits to doing it through a publisher. Yeah. Right.
0: I think that's something that we kind of push a lot on the show is just doing it yourself and only going with the publisher if it truly benefits you, you know, because a lot of the times doing it yourself is going to be way more beneficial to you as an artist, both financially and, you know, networking wise, because you actually get to communicate with your readers who are buying the work
3: that's true that's true i mean i think you you see who's yeah you you do i mean putting something in the mail and sending it to someone is a pretty um it's a pretty nice thing to do and it is kind of a i mean it's a beautiful thing um and you do get that's <laughs> no one can take that away from you right with self-publishing but i think in both i think in both aspects it def there definitely needs to be way to i, I it's like i'm of two minds of it because I, I look at who orders stuff from domino and there are sometimes i'm I'll be with cartoonists and people will say, well, who are the readers for this stuff? It's all other cartoonists. Um, And I really can say that that's not true. There are hundreds of people that aren't highly online and aren't cartoonists. I mean, maybe they're cartoonists in private, um, or maybe they're going to be cartoonists at some point. But there are so many people engaged in this stuff. I mean, you guys probably know this as self-publishers as well. There's so many people engaged with this stuff that aren't part of any community or aren't vocalizing their opinions everywhere that are deeply engaged with this stuff. And I think there definitely can be more, because I think the work that comes out of this corner of comics is really... I mean, I've never lost my appreciation for it. It only increases after being interested in this stuff for over 20 years, and I think it only gets more interesting, but I do think maybe the belief in it being an expansive medium in terms of readership, I don't think people believe in that as much as they once did, but I... Definitely think it's still true.
0: Yeah, I can echo that sentiment. I get more excited about it as time goes on. I think. Alrighty, so uh, we do have some audience questions that will circle back around to uh, you know you and your work at Domino. But before we get into that, I do want to get into uh, you know your work. So you did just put out the uh, recent book Meskin and Umezzo, and uh, you were working on that book for a year or more. Is that right?
3: About it took me about four years okay. to do. Yeah.
0: And uh, it had some start and stop with the release, I'm assuming pandemic-related production pipeline issues.
3: Uh well I mean in terms of finishing it the pandemic I mean like finishing the drawing on it I finished the drawing on it in twenty twenty and I think the pandemic really helped me finish it years before I I would have finished it oh, otherwise okay. um, but in terms of yeah I mean I um it's the first book of my own work that I've published you know relating to what we're saying before kind of trying to put my money uh, where my mouth is talking about that kind of stuff but I um I worked with the same printer that um, my previous book came out with two D cloud yes. and I like the. Product uh, Gulag Casual. I like the production they did with this um, printer out of Korea called DNP, and um, I kind of just I contacted them. They have offices in New York, and they were extremely. It was really nice to just sit down with them and work with paper stocks and everything. And you know the stuff I do with Domino. Otherwise, I use these uh, printers in Long Island City, uh, Linco and Stellar. And they're great, but they don't—they <laughs> don't have an office where you sit down and discuss these things. You just, you know, they send you the PDF, and they don't even send a proof. And you, <laughs> your your files better be good because they definitely don't. You know, they're they're not super um, aesthetically minded. But if your files are good, they'll they'll print a nice book. But DNP was—they were—they were so patient and, and really great to work with. But yeah, I mean, I sent the um, PDF right uh, as all the supply chain stuff happened, so. There was about a six month. Uh, I mean, they yeah. I mean, they had the the printer had the files and the books printed for maybe five months before uh, before it got to uh, got to the US. Okay. I think it was just it was just sitting on a boat uh, in the New York Harbor for uh, quite some time, at least a month.
0: So you know, I know we are kind of just shedding light on you know investing in yourself as a cartoonist, but I mean, this is a book with the spine. It's not like a mini comic that you know has a low overhead. What made you want to go all in? on yourself because to me you know there's self-publishing when it comes to you know making a zine or a little floppy something affordable that you can print and then there's you know you get into the new realm of books with you know actual offsite production you know offset printing and so forth so what was it were you finally comfortable enough with your ability to be like you know what i can i can do this finally did you just want complete control over it why make the jump from working with an established publisher at 2d and going back to the self-publishing route
3: What I've always thought is, with with artists who have an audience, and let me make clear, I'm not making a comparison with myself here. But uh, you know, like Chris Ware, after he was doing Acme Novelty Library with Fantagraphics, he started, I believe, self publishing it and having drawn and quarterly distributed for him. And this must have been in 2008 that he was doing this. And I was like, oh, of course, that is such a smart. I mean, Chris Ware has an audience. (laughs) If he if he pays for the printing on this, which you know, I'm sure he can do. It's going to be a better situation for him. I'm surprised. And, of course, for the collection, he's not going to want to put his own money into that because that's going to be a lot more pages. And he's going to want it to be, uh, you know, circulated to libraries and, and, you know – Internationally, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He's gonna he's gonna want some help with that because that's gonna be too complicated. But just in terms of making the, you know, they weren't floppies at this point from where, but they were like individual issues of Acme Novelty Library that eventually become, you know, the Rusty Brown collection and maybe some side projects. Right. But um, to me, I was like, oh yeah, of course, everybody should do that if they have some way, if they have some structure of their own in terms of with him, he has an audience. It just makes more sense, and you will, you'll make your publishing costs back, and you'll just have more control over it. And it'll be, it'll also be just like a complete work. I mean, just in my mind, an artist working directly with the printer and going over making their own decisions. To me, that's just like a beautiful work of art. You know, I mean, it's not, you're not, (laughs) Zach Sally, uh, you know, had his own printing press. That's the ultimate. I am not, I don't want to go that crazy and uh, have my own letterpress where I'm printing the own pa- my own pages, but I, I definitely see the appeal to that, and I'm a little jealous that that he was able to do that. But I think printing a book yourself, working with the printer yourself, really does make it a true artist-generated work of art, and I mm-hmm. was very, I think that's very beautiful. And I think with the structure of Domino getting to the point it was, there's a little bit of a gamble, but I just felt like, well, I can't – I do have this in place, and I'd rather – I get very, I you know, the publishers I have worked with all have really great qualities, but I do get a little freaked out here and there by decisions they make that aren't bad decisions. But, um, I just, uh, especially something I've worked on for so long, I was just like, well, if I can have complete control over this, this would be nice. And I'd rather, um, you know, I have this, I have this way of getting the book out there and I put so much work into it that I thought, why don't I just, why don't I, why don't I do what I believe in and, um, and, and try to get this out there in that way. And I'm really, you know, I'm really happy with it. Uh, I, I think it was, I'm so happy that I did it. And I, you know, it's also like um, kind of establishing, you know, I, I, I try to think of this stuff with the future in mind as much as possible and figuring out a way to do this. And if it worked out, you know, no matter what happens with working with publishers in the future, I'll always have this, I, I'll always know that I can accomplish things in this way and I can just no matter what happens, I'll always always be able to count on doing it this way.
2: Uh, So going back to the book, uh, I wanted to first talk about sort of how you built the book itself, like uh, sort of what that process was like. Was there a script? Uh, Were there thumbs? How did you go about going from point A to point B? And then also I wanted to talk about the uh, materiality of the pages, sort of how a lot of stuff is purposefully left in. There's They very much do look like scanned drawings, you know, like uh, there's snippets uh, of like folded paper on top of one another. I just find that really interesting. So I wanted sort of your take on, or or at least your thought process into making this book.
3: Sure, totally. I, um, uh, where should I start? Do you want to, uh, they're all interesting questions. Do you want to prompt me on, on one?
2: Sure. So, yeah, so let's go to, uh, like the very, very beginning of, what became this story, this comic?
3: That's it. Yeah, I can. Um, that's actually has an interesting answer. I, hopefully. I wanted to start the work off by having two characters talk to each other and start to see what they talked about. And then I, I worked on it for about a year and a half. And I had, um, I had these two characters interacting and they had the beginning of a conversation. And then about um, and I don't thumbnail anything out because to me, the fun of making comics is To sit and draw them and make a finished drawing. Yeah, And uh, so I was doing these full pages and kind of trying to, you know, get the tone of of what um, each page was going to – what the tone of the project overall was going to look like. And trying to push myself to um, make some attempt to ground things a little bit more so that I love – experimental comics i my own work is probably viewed as as at times being incomprehensible um but i also i also really like you know uh the most traditionally told comics of all time. I like Little Lulu, I like Kurt Swan, I like Golden Age comics. So I thought, well, if I if I like those things, maybe I could try making something that's um that's a little more <laughs> a little more comprehensible panel to panel. That'll be a fun challenge to do. And I know this book is not anywhere near Little Lulu, but I did want it to be, <laughs> well, if these two characters are talking, maybe they maybe it can be um there can be a more of a I mean to me my previous stuff is is storytelling. And I, I think, um, I, I don't, I didn't want to work in a new way to make an apology but for working another way, but I did want to, I wanted to see how far I could get working in a, a more, um, reined in way mm-hmm. And so I, yeah, so I started working on this and making an attempt to, um, make the characters just a little more consistent, but still making it, make it interesting for me to draw. So I had them talking for about 20 pages and then, um, I kind of finally hit on maybe what I thought would be interesting for them to talk about, kind of improvise, I had like ideas of subjects that they'd get into and then I'd sort of improvise the dialogue, um, as I was sitting down to, to draw, i have an idea, I, I'd, i I'd, finalize what the dialogue was going to be when I sat down to draw the page and then draw the scene, draw the expressions in the scene around that. And so finally through doing that for about 20, 25 pages, I came up with, the, I, I felt like they finally hit on something that was much more interesting for me to have them discussing. And so then I went back and re-edited. I mean, that took about a year and a half, maybe. I might be messing up the timeline a little bit, But at some point I was like, okay, well now I feel like, now they're talking about something that's actually much more inherently interesting to me. And it feels like they're also, these characters are interacting in a way that um, something is, something's going to happen with them. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty corny observation, not very, um, pretty obvious, but I think stories are about people interacting. Um, (laughs) It's about characters having some kind of interaction or something happening between two people. And so as they were talking, I was like, okay, well, I, I'm starting to feel the real contrast between these two personalities. And I feel some kind of momentum happening of some kind of event happening with them. And then I kept going in that with that. I, then I went in and edited those pages, then sat down and did the next two thirds of the book. And then went back. when everything was done, uh, I went back and re- just edited everything again to kind of like highlight that main thrust of conversation and also bring the drawing up to because it's like four year project. And I love, you know, I mean, we all love comics that look one way on page one and completely different on page 300. But I was so I was was proud with some of the progress I'd made with the drawing towards the end. And I just wanted to rise everything to like I wanted to do the panels that, that felt a little weaker now, four years later, and I wanted them to rise up to that level. So the I think the editing the I mean that was so there was about 6 months of maybe the first round of editing and then maybe another year of the second round of editing. Um but I work very I mean maybe some people look at my work and it seems <laughs> like it's done very quickly but I I work so so slowly and um so it's a 76 page book but just doing all those things took it took me forever. Um mm.
2: Yeah, so speaking of like enjoying drawing these, these pages and not really keeping any sort of consistent model for these characters, because they do, they do shift, but in a very sort of organic, abstract way, it seems to like reflect how abstract this story came about in terms of how it was constructed on your end, right? Like you start with this basic premise of two characters talking, and then as you are making it, it slowly changes and morphs into something else.
3: Yeah, I mean I um I really made an effort to <laughs> to I mean to rein the characters in more than they have been in the past, but I know I acknowledge that they also, you know, it, it it's still the stuff I'm doing still fundamentally disobeys and it's it's not an act of rebellion. I mean, I think anyone that makes atypical work, they're not doing it. I mean, I think unsuccessful experimental work is is trying to make an experiment. I think most experimental work that I'm interested in, it's, it's someone trying to do their best, and <laughs> what they end up with is something. You know, they're, they're trying to come at the center, and it, you know, through their own way of doing things, it it's, it comes off very different than that. Um, I I, uh, I think in the past it's been very hard to follow who is a character in one drawing to the next one. I think this one is definitely closer to a form of consistency of uh, the characters but I mean compared to again compared to uh maybe a, a tubby comic it's very um it's very much it, it's it's very much not that way I just um I think like lots of cartoonists I take influences from all kinds of things and i I love um you know I love experimental painting and and just all kinds of image making and i Um, you know, there's only, there's only one life to live. So I like to, if I'm going to sit down and make a drawing, I do want to enjoy the process of making a drawing and I want to I I want to have some kind of engagement with it, and I am amazed by cartoonists, very traditional cartoonists, that you can feel that engagement as they draw a character consistently over and over and over again. I mean, if I'm really pressed to tell my favorite kind of work, that is my favorite kind of work. People that are able to, because I understand how hard it is to sit and draw a character consistently page after page. I just do not, I, I lack that ability. Um, and I, I think a lot of the stuff I make is trying to make that, the lack of ability to make a consistent set of characters to try to still, I mean, I, I, I still want to make comics. I don't want to, um, I don't really want to do anything else artistically. And I try to, um, I try to make, uh, make my way of doing that work in some kind of way, even though my preference is, is probably for, for different kind of work.
2: That is something that I would say most cartoonists and artists in general tend to bring up is that, you know, any sort of weakness that you may, quote unquote, you know, weakness that you may have when it comes to your work, it's best to use those, uh, those weaknesses to your own benefit.
3: Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, you
2: know, those quote unquote shortcomings that you may have or may be perceived as being a shortcoming. And I definitely see that in this book. I definitely can tell (laughs) because as somebody who also does not really care about drawing on model all the time, even though I do it, because, you know, like you said, it is difficult. It's kind of annoying and tedious at times. The, The freedom that you have with these characters is something that I'm actually a little bit jealous of, to be honest just being able to approach each panel while, you know, like you said, there is sort of a, a line that follows them. So you can kind of follow who is talking and who's doing what, but those slight variations and changes in the features and whatnot, it, it's like, I don't know, I can tell you're having fun drawing the book.
3: Oh, well, thank you. That's, um, yeah, I mean, I'm obsessed with the early History of comics, and I, I kind of have this monotonous argument that I think when Milton Kniff comes in and there's a this cinematic influence in comics, something is really – the medium gets defined as this pure storytelling medium, and I don't know, if you look at Lionel Feininger and you look at George Harriman, I mean, there, there's a consistency to George Harriman's characters. There's kind of a consistency to to Lionel Feininger's Kinder Kids, but not mm-hmm. really. But I don't think I don't know. I think um, you can look at a comic for as long as you like. You know, you can you can decipher it for as long as you like. It's not a. Uh, it isn't a movie that's passing by you. And you know, even in a movie, I think we allow for more confusion. I mean, you know, it's like a universal experience. Everybody's like, wait, who's that right. guy? Or you know, like people are walking out and they're trying. They have their own interpretations of a movie. And I don't know. I don't. I I do think you can trace it back to Knef, where people are like. What comics does best is just tell the story. I mean, you hear, I I read a lot of interviews in Alter Ego and, you know, everyone, you know, if you listen to older and, and even Bronze Age practitioners of comics, they've internalized that and they make brilliant work, I think, as pure storytellers trying to, you know, like someone like Toth, it's all about simplifying things. And I think he does it beautifully. I think other people uh, do it, you know, in a more hammy way. I think there's a real, you know, it's just, it's incredible what, what some people do with their approach to simplicity in comics. Some people, it's kind of embarrassing yeah, um, and, and holds the medium back, I think. But I don't think that's, I, I don't think any other medium has defined itself in that way. And so um, I just don't, I don't see that as the only path, and I don't see that as the only path to storytelling. I think um, I think vague storytelling or boring storytelling or incoherent storytelling. I I think that that's those are just those aren't deficient forms of storytelling. They're just underrepresented.
2: Yeah, no, hundred percent.
3: But that's just self justification, you know. So. <laughs>
0: So before we get into listener questions, um, I'm just always curious about like, you know, schedule. I know you were saying that you're constantly busy. Do you carve out time to draw or do you kind of just squeeze it in when you can? Like
3: I, I, I'm trying right now to get ahead of a lot of things. Um, I just had a, um, I, I had a, a show of, of some of my artwork, um, in the city and I, um, spent a lot of time doing stuff out, you know, making drawings that aren't connected to comics, um, which used to be a lot easier for me, but now is is much, much harder, but I am, I'm trying to get ahead on a million things. Um, there's a, there's a gallery, um, in San Francisco called, uh, at all. And they, um, also, yeah, they, they think they have this additional gallery within a bookstore that they made. And I've been doing this, uh, adaptation of a chapter from, uh, the Possessed, or uh, some people call it Demons, by Dostoevsky. Okay, I've been just adapting one chapter, and uh, they wanted to show that. Um, I've just been working on it for this one man anthology comic that I'm trying to do after after working on the uh, on Masquerade Mezzo. And I um I it's. <laughs> I'm, I've been so slow on making comics since finishing the book. Um So it's taken me like a year to do eight pages on that story. And I, I actually now, next week, I need to sit down and, and finish that. And when I'm really working on comics, I, I am – I do – I can keep a pretty good schedule. I can sit and work. I mean I, I tend to draw really late at night when everything else is done so I don't have to worry about anything in the day changing or some crisis coming up or some change in you know emotional <laughs> – Makeup of the day, so I tend to. If I'm really in a good zone of working, I can sit down at ten uh, and work until like six a.m. or something like that. That's what I like to do, and if I do that, I can do that for days and days and days. And um, but I'm I'm just not in that phase right now. But I I have to get back on it. Hopefully next week. Hell yeah!
0: All righty. So we are going to get into listener questions now. Um, as always, if you want to participate on the show with our guests, uh, keep an eye on our instagram feed Uh, we usually put questionnaires up there you can also follow us on patreon at gutterboys.top or patreon.com forward slash gutterboys and submit questions there as well
2: okay first question comes from instagram user christopher.dale.s uh they ask any specific comic or panel that haunts you that you can't quite get out of your head
3: uh that's a good yeah that was one of the ones that i couldn't um i couldn't come up with an answer to like i yeah i saw these I, i maybe i shouldn't uh Shouldn't reveal this, but you, because you share these <laughs> questions with me first. Um, I'm trying, yeah, I can't really think of one. I mean, I wish I, um, you know, it's funny. My mom uh, read comics when she was young and she remembers that iconic Jack Cole injury to the eye image. I mean, she remembers seeing that on the playground, you know, mm. uh, unless she's created that memory in her mind from hearing about it on the news. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I can't think of, um, I can't think of a single panel. I mean, I do I do really remember – I remember certain stories like really changing just my – I remember like reading an issue of 8-Ball when I was in high school. And I was just – since I was 10, I've just been hyper-focused on comics. But I had this idea of um, – it's always like um, – just like a – like, you know, I would be reading comics and I felt like that I was growing out of the comics that I started reading. But I was just like – Searching for like some kind of ideal that would satisfy what I believed comics were capable of so I was like oh I guess I should read flaming carrot comics that I mean I guess that's like really artistic (laughs) and I would just be searching and searching and like you know there's stuff like concrete I'd be like this is this is the best and I, I still like concrete a lot but there was I was like there's something I don't know. I, I if I'm really being honest with myself, there's still there's still something lacking here. And I think I remember reading uh 8 Ball 16 and really just uh I mean just yeah, like drawings and that I still think of because it really was just this mind-blowing like I was like, "Oh, well, now I guess uh, now I I can believe in this thing because this is this is just so beautiful and it's it, I really love this story. It's just this I love this as much as any other work of art and i i can just love it unapologetically so i remember i remember that cover of eight ball 16 uh but i I can't say i remember a specific panel
2: hell yeah Cam. what about you
0: uh you know i don't know either you know it's like certain panel, like just like one panel that i've like stared at you know um but you know there are definitely stories that impact me i don't know of a certain panel that i don't have an answer for that
3: there was, I was just reading, um, I don't want to, but I want to hear what JB says, but, um, there was, are you guys reading that, uh, manga Blood on the Tracks?
0: Oh, yeah, 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 that shit's sick. There's like,
3: I think in volume six, there's just like one full page facial expression from someone, and that was kind of, uh-huh. that was pretty scary. I mean, that, I, I do, when I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, I need to read the next volume, that I do think of that page, and it was like, A genuinely uh, upsetting image that I...
0: (laughs) Yeah, to kind of piggyback off of that, I guess, like, uh, I had a jump scare in a Junji Ito comic recently, and I've never had that happen to me in a comic. Oh, wow. Um, What was it? Well, it's like, okay, so there's this, like, really grotesque, ugly lady, and um, he was illustrating this sequence where, like, this lady, he was like, a character was flipping through a magazine, and then, like, eventually the face just shows up, but the way the page breaks were going, like... You just see him flipping through this. And then all of a sudden you just see this, you turn the page and you see this giant scary face and it's just like, oh shit. Okay. So (sighs) (laughs) I guess I kind of had like a reaction, Uh, but it hasn't stuck with me for life or anything. That was just like a recent one. Yeah. Yeah. What about
2: you though, JB? Uh, You know, I wish I could remember the exact issue of uh, Deathlock that I'm thinking of. But when I was a kid, you know, I had a handful of Deathlock comics back when he still had a, uh, you know, an ongoing title under his name. And there was one issue where he's fighting, uh, this guy, I forget his name. He's like Night Stalker or some shit. I don't know. He looks like a alien guy in a cloak.
0: I think that is Night Stalker. Is
2: that Night Stalker? Okay.
0: Let me double check. But yeah, I'm pretty sure that's Night Stalker.
2: Yeah. And I have no idea who that is, what that character means in the grand scheme of, you know, fucking Marvel or whatever. So I was just reading these comics in a vacuum, basically. Mm -hmm. And, uh, in that issue... I guess one of the character's powers, or that character's powers, is like uh, like bending reality or some shit. And so, because I, I do remember Deathlock comics having a lot of body horror in general in those issues, but yeah. this issue in particular, he's like warping his like arm and it's getting all twisted and mangled, and it it almost looks like um, uh, it almost looks like an animation drawing. You know, the the sort of classical understanding of drawing movement by uh, doing smears. Hmm, so he okay. had like this weird thing going on with his body parts and i just remember seeing that as a kid and being like really creeped out by it
3: <laughs> deathlock such as i i had the it was one of the first marvel cards i had was deathlock it was scary – I mean like I think maybe my interest – like that was one of my initial introductions to superheroes. What were those cards? I think it was for a lot of yeah. people. And that Deathlok card was like – um it was like it was really frightening and uh, I think it, it got me into all that stuff because it was just so – I mean it, it was it was really intriguing because uh, it – yeah, it never – I guess – I can't – I mean it's not that the design of that character is like super high quality or, or that incredible but there's just something about like – um something creepy about it but not in like a traditional creepy way
2: Yeah I, I know what you mean uh, cuz the way that character is designed is very much a product of the time yeah. sort of like that of uh, the Big 2 but he also looks like uh like something you would have seen in like an old EC horror comic Yeah just up, yeah. just updated to that sort of modern approach to superheroes at the time
3: Yeah and I think it, seeing it maybe in the mid 90s it was like very I think that aesthetic maybe that kind of bronzes aesthetic had kind of died out and wasn't if you're 10 you don't have any other context for it so it's just this kind of like right it's kind of this like right. future that never happened kind of thing
2: yeah yeah, yeah. like a memory Our, you, you think you had but don't remember
3: yeah yeah totally
0: <laughs> all righty next question uh, on instagram came from a two-parter came from no underscore good ny uh, one when's the new issue of comic art coming back from the printer and two how do you source slash gather writing for each issue
3: i um hopefully one will be the the number four will be done By the end of uh, this summer, the the way that I get stuff for it is I really just I I just try to generate stuff organically. I mean, I think there's always things that I don't think are covered enough or artists that I think um, I definitely with with comic art want to talk to people that I think are not um, not necessarily buzzing up in the moment, maybe. And I have this connection to um, but but making work that is of the moment or, or relevant to the moment. I have this real connection to um, cartoonists in the Bay Area from the late 90s and early 2000s. And I I think a lot of people around um, Dylan Williams and Sparkplug. And I do, I might weight things more towards just not with Domino, but with that publication trying to, I I guess in a way, uh, maybe even beyond that is like I've spent so much time in comics and I know so many people in it. I know them as artists um, more than as friends. And I think, I mean, a lot of them are friends. But I, it always begins with being interested in their art. And I think in a way, comic art is just a kind of way to like have coherence over my own life in comics and try to process every single person uh, in comics that I have some kind of eventually I want to get to every every artistic relationship I've had in comics. I want to plug into there in some kind of way. I just just for myself. And then, you know, working with Domino, there's always new – I always generate new – you know, there's always new artists that I become aware of and that I'm interested in and that I want to – you know, I, I want them to talk about the medium and explain things to me uh, that uh, that they understand that maybe I don't understand. And so I, I really do just try to – um I try to fill it with it's maybe artist centric rather than writer centric, but um, you know people. I think for the new one, um, I think Megan Kelso is going to do an interview with David Lasky, and David Lasky is an artist who I've followed his work for twenty years, and I um, I definitely would like to hear him talk to. Tim Goodyear is supposed to interview Chris Silla, and I I think Tim Goodyear is um, – he does Teenage Dinosaur. He's done so much, and he's an amazing cartoonist in his own right. He has done so much stuff. In com- he's the first person to publish Matt Fury, he's the first person, I mean he published the first issue of Boys Club, he's the first person to publish Dash Shaw, first person to publish Julie Refer um, and he really is this uh, he has this incredible vision of comics and this incredible way of talking about comics. He did the Mary Fleener issue uh, interview in issue three and I just, I want him to do something for every issue if he'll, if he'll agree to do it. So I try to fill it with people who have visions of comics that for whatever reason, aren't aren't overrepresented uh, in the whatever backwater amount of discussion we have. So that that's try- how I try to generate stuff. But I'm also, like with the philosophy I expressed about Domino to begin with, I'm very open to submissions and things that um, I, I, I mean, I have my own polemical take on comics, obviously, but I don't think magazines, I mean, manifestos maybe should be a repository for your own, polemics but i i do think a magazine can encompass more than that i mean there is something that i commissioned for or i I talked with someone i i I talked with august lip i can't say i commissioned it because it was sort of his he generated the idea of it um but the kind of this criticism of um and i i I think i invited him to to flesh it out for the magazine and he's the he's the co-editor so it's a natural thing to do that but he has this kind of great critique of of comics like um like daryl cunningham's work which is an interesting cartoonist um, but he kind of makes these comics that are like they're they're like captions like uh when Putin was elected, he uh, you know, uh didn't help with the bus system in Russia. And then there's like a picture of a a bus stop and there's two people saying, When's the bus coming? And it's sort of it's like over redundant use of of text and imagery and i i see that a lot in like bookstore driven graphic novels and august had a really funny way of of talking about it and that's where my polemic comes in where i'm like really i i think it's worth poking a little bit of fun at those books or maybe questioning why they're so ascendant right now so some of that comes into it and then you know there's There's people like like someone like Victor Cairo, I think definitely, I don't know why he's, I don't know why anyone who runs a magazine doesn't use him as much as they can. He's, He's such a talented artist. He's so funny and he's a, he's a great satirist. Um, and so I always want you know Victor did I think a, a hilarious drawing of Dan Nadell in issue three and I, I think he's working on a swimsuit spread of everyone in comics um, for the for the next issue. <laughs> so And I think Victor's stuff gets written off sometimes as being this like visual assault, but I really I really <laughs> see him and it is that, but I see him as being so he's his work is so intelligent and the writing component of it, I, I think people don't always engage with the writing part of it because they're just blown away by the imagery. But if you if you sift through all the the narrative components and the writing and Victor stuff, it's incredible. Like it's, I mean, it's. I, I think it's just as. I mean, he's making fun of people, and I think he makes fun of them a little more cruelly in the writing. And it's not. It's. I don't think it's. It's also. I think his work is not. Shouldn't be written off as cruel uh, as its only thing. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of heart in it too. So it's. I to me his work is is fascinating. So I always try to work with him.
2: Yeah, Victor's definitely the Joker of small press.
3: Well, I, uh, I I'm, I'm neither going to uh, endorse or or disagree with that. I, I'll, I'll, let, uh, I'll let you guys say that, and we'll Just shout we'll out Victor. See.
0: Victor's, Victor's, yeah. uh, Victor's a pal. Shout out Victor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, peace and love, Victor. All right. Next question came from uh, Ryan Cecil Smith, uh, a two-parter here. Uh, What's the most boring, basic, non-zany comic that you love? Uh, Your taste is so wild. And ask about money. How does he support himself? How sustainable is his job?
3: I'll just the, the first one. I mean, I think my favorite genre of comics is boring comics. I mean, I think um to me uh those more Weisinger, Kurt Swan Superman comics, they're kind of boring. Um and I think um I think comics does boring really well. Like I I like sitting with something that's just like kind of like dying on the page, um like kind of static. And I like, I, you know, I think <sighs> I think hellblazer is kind of a boring comic um it's just a lot of talking uh and i just love comics that are just i mean uh that are people just maybe kind of lifelessly drawn wandering around i i don't i i can't really explain it but i my my I think a better question would be like, is there a boring comic that I don't like? Because I, I really <laughs> – <laughs> um, and the other question is I, I do think – I mean I, I think one of the values of this show you guys do is that it is it, – it talks about issues related to making comics and issues around the industry and I think people get a lot of information from it. So in that spirit, I, I do think it's important to – to note that uh, with Domino, I never had a nest egg for it. I don't have. Um, I, it's completely built from the ground up. For eight years, I worked as a um, delivery. It, from my when I was twenty, from when I was twenty seven to thirty five, I worked as a, a delivery man for a bakery, and every day I would take in in New York, and every day I would take the subway all over New York and just carry around cakes. And cupcakes and deliver them to, I got paid $20 for deliveries below 59th, uh, $25 for deliveries between 59th and 72nd, $30 for deliveries above 72nd. So, you know, some days you'd make 40 bucks, some days you'd make a couple hundred bucks, but it was, um, I kept Domino together with that as my main income for many, many years. Um, and slowly, I think there started to be enough stuff in the Domino store um and enough of me I, it, and for years i did domino without a computer i processed all the orders and i had a flip phone for a long time so i would process all the orders from i would use uh the computer at my old uh, university uh to scan things and i would process orders through an ipad that i had so uh, finally through there being a, a lot of stuff on the site and kind of and i would, I would publish work that way too i would i published the first two issues of comic art without a computer and edited them you know, in other places and kind of kept the whole thing together through like an external hard drive. And it just through momentum of, of just doing it for a long time, I think it started to turn a profit. And, I, and also I would make money through selling artwork, um, but not enough money to you know sustain myself month to month. I would usually, if money came in from selling art, to me it would be something where I couldn't really hold on to it because I would probably just chip away at it, you know, like buying a book here. It wouldn't be enough money to, you know, <laughs> to change my day to day life. So I would usually, any money I made from selling a piece of art, I would sink immediately into publishing a book just so that it was something, mm-hmm. something done with it. Um, but yeah, just over time, the, the, the store started to make more money and it made enough money where I could, you know, afford a, <laughs> Afford buying a computer, um, which really allowed me to add stuff to it much more freely. Um, and I think that was, it allowed me to process stuff a lot faster. And I don't think anyone had any complaints about work being added or orders being processed previously, but I think ramping things up uh, really did make the audience for Domino expand. And it I, I think because the infrastructure, I mean, if, if I could recommend one thing to anyone doing anything, it's don't start top heavy. Because slowly getting stuff to a point where it was doing enough to, to generate enough money to put back into it and improve it, I think having that infrastructure that was kind of developed over nine years really, really helped. And now I do, I mean, yeah, I support myself primarily through domino and a mix of i mean it's a mix of making artwork a mix of um of teaching um and domino i mean all three of those things don't generate a ton of um (laughs) on their own they'd be tough to live on although although maybe maybe barely but all three together kind of work out but i i do think I, i i would say that um the cliche of maybe needing a lot of money to start doing something like this is, um, in my experience, not true. I, I, I do think you have to like to work and you have to like doing this stuff. And I think if you if you enjoy this stuff, I think that's that's enough of a nest egg.
2: Hell yeah. All right. Uh, next question from Instagram. Instagram user Baracko Beagle asked, <laughs> <Okay>. how important- <laughs> Yeah, I know. Uh, how important are big social media networks to Domino's biz? Any thoughts on that dynamic?
3: Too, too important. Too important right now. I mean, I, I think what I can what I can say is, thankfully, less now than maybe six months ago, um, because orders used to really be generated on a day when I would add new stuff to the store. And announce it through all the different social media accounts. And that's when you would get your – you'd get a huge flush of orders uh, that would last for maybe a day and a half and then maybe dry up and then you know maybe bubble up again throughout. I mean there's – not a day goes by that there aren't some I, – I okay. Well, here's the thing. Initially, there would be maybe 10 orders on the day that you announce something to social media. And then maybe the next day, five, you get to the other days and it's like four, three, two, you know, it it dwindles. I think what I can say is that announcing stuff on social media still generates the most amount of orders, but I would say it's pretty consistent. Now I can maybe not announce stuff for a week and there are enough people checking the site without going to social media first, which is – that's what I'm really hoping for. But I also do not – I mean I've, I've mentioned – there's an interview where Prince says, uh, I, I don't know about this whole internet thing, this whole internet fad. I, I don't know how long this is going to last. And that was like 12 years ago he said that. So I mean clearly it's lasted another 12 years. I – Do not personally believe that we, um, I don't want to put all my eggs in the internet basket. I I hate the internet. I mean, I use it every (laughs) second of my life now. Like, so I'm a huge hypocrite, but I, um, I mean, obviously there's great, there's beautiful things about the internet. One of the things I've tried to do with Domino recently is this Domino wholesale idea where I'm buying comics in bulk from mini comic creators. Instead of buying 20 copies for the store, I'm buying maybe 50 copies from them, 30 of them for this wholesale operation. And I buy those books at 35% so I can sell them to retailers at 50%. I mean, I know retail is dying or retail is struggling, but I do think independent bookstores have a future. And I do think work like the kind that we're interested in has a future in those places. And that's how people outside of our Preaching to the choir world is gonna find it find out about them, and I want to try to carve out a path to that as much as possible. Because I um I just don't I mean I just don't want to like rely on these Silicon Valley things that we're all like we're all addicted to, and we're all like just uh you know generating stuff for. I don't want that to be the way that people find out about this stuff. I this is this is like real art to me, and it's it really matters, and I I want it to be independent of these you know even though i use them probably more than anyone i know i i you know they're basically disgusting and i I don't want that to be the future that i'm always interacting with these things
0: yeah co-signed on that hell yeah all righty next question came from let me pull them back up here
2: Uh, speaking of that uh if you want to join our patreon (laughs) we're at uh (laughs) gutterboys.top uh for five bucks you get access to uh our bonus episodes. Yeah, yeah and please please
3: subscribe to you know Domino's Instagram via Domino Comics and uh, yeah. at Domino Comics the same thing on Twitter and uh keep yeah. you know keep it in the machine, baby. Yeah.
0: Alrighty. Uh you don't have to answer this if you don't want, but Instagram user XOXO underscore grease asked, Do you make comics sober?
3: Uh <laughs> That's a, uh, I, I do. I mean, I yeah, I don't, um, I'm not, uh, I, I don't know. I, it's, I, I'm interested in psychedelic art that people make without psychedelics. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I, uh, I can't really think of a lot of people that make really beautiful work under the influence. So, I mean, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, are there really, if we really think about, I mean, I also grew up in San Francisco, so I've heard a lot of like burnt out hippies like you know but i, I don't think i've ever heard uh, them communicating anything all that deep um so i don't um uh i mean also i mean the ideals of that movement i think are beautiful too so i don't wanna anyway i um yeah i i think maybe um i will reward myself after finishing comics with with drinking a little bit but definitely not until uh i i can't i can't make any work under the influence at all
2: hmm yeah, some same. people can.
3: I, I don't I, like to. I, I certainly can.
2: I, I know a couple that do actively make work while high as hell, but I don't know about alcohol or psychedelics.
3: I think there's a lot of painters who uh, get into the romance of, of having oh, yeah, some drinks right, yeah. while they paint. But uh,
2: Yeah, but that that whole, that's, I don't know. I mean, we can get into a whole thing about that. I mean, we're already running over an hour at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I don't want to. We get
2: into that, and that's just going to be another half hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Instagram user white comics asked, talk about shipping, how to safely package big books, how to manage shipping international, etc." And also please ask Austin to do more 20 questions with cartoonists.
3: Oh yeah, I should do that. I just, yeah, I feel like there's enough of, uh, there's enough of me on the internet. I, I feel like, um, someone else should do that 20 questions with cartoonists. I don't know if people remember that, but it was just like the same 20 questions at like without variation asked to, asked to different artists and Kind of talks about their process, and so you get to compare and contrast people's different approaches. And you know what? I, I it's like an open source idea. The questions I created, anyone wants to continue it on their own, just credit me somewhere, mention me once, and you, you have free reign to to reuse my questions. Um. Oh. Oh. Shipping. I I think I've gotten um in the early days of Domino, I did get some complaints about books getting dinged up. I'm I'm sending out. I think now uh, maybe sixty comics a week on average. And I think now maybe once a month, someone will complain about something. So I think I have a good system. I mean, with international orders, I lose money on international orders, but I I allow it to keep happening. Just as long as I'm only losing $5 on those international orders, I'll allow it. (laughs) I'll, I'll allow it to continue. Um, but I don't know how to make that cost effective. I know the, the bubbles, uh, guy was telling me to use this different service, which I just haven't gotten around to, but I'm sure he's right about making it work. Um, but with like hardcover books and stuff, it does get really hard. I, I have no idea how to make that. Work. But I I have, with importing European books, I think I've gotten to the point of making that profitable where it used to be getting stuff from Breeze, like I'd break even on those books because of the shipping I'm paying on them. And the way that it would make sense is that it would bring people to the store and they'd buy a Breeze book and then they'd buy a ton of other stuff and it, it works out. I think now um, I just got all this free mock stuff in and I think I've like worked out a way to price the books so that they make sense in terms of paying the shipping too. And I think just packing stuff, I used to, I used to wrap comics around comics, but I don't think that worked as well. And now what I do is I just double pack everything. You know, I put everything into a sturdy envelope and I put everything into another envelope. It sounds pretty basic but it does seem to work. Um, I think most people say that they get their, you know, I, I've, I've heard of more established publishers having less, uh, being less reliable with shipping. So I think, I mean, please email me if I'm, if I'm totally wrong and, and your, all your domino shipments are, I mean, I, what I hear is that the domino shipments come beat up, but the comics inside are okay.
2: Hell yeah. I usually, I mean, obviously, I don't know if this is going to apply to you considering you are mailing and shipping stuff at a larger scale on a monthly basis, but, um, I usually just buy wholesale packs. That's what I do. Uh, yeah. U S distributors. And, uh, you know, if I'm mailing a comic or print or whatever, I almost always just use rigid envelopes Mm -hmm. because I feel like the, the packing stuff, like I know the type of shipping material you're talking about, the ones that have like the additional padding that's inside yes. the envelope itself and i've always found that stuff to be like one yeah it is messy when you open it and two i don't really think it does a great job of protecting anything in the long run and three i think they're even more expensive than rigid mailers anyway so well, that's just my two cents it's
3: worth it because you know my fetish is having my customers covered in dust yes i, I never mean, thought about it that way
2: you know i mean
3: <laughs> you gotta make some sacrifices so. <laughs>
2: All
0: right. Mike's underscore not sane on Instagram wrote, what's one of the weirdest places you've drawn inspiration for a comic?
3: Uh, that's a good question. I don't think I... um. I can't, yeah, I, I don't think I really do draw inspiration from places. I mean, I do think wherever I'm living is going to dictate the kind of work I make. But I don't, I don't know, I guess, you know, I think my comics are a lot of times about people in cramped spaces, probably. So I'm sure New York has something to do with that. But I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I I really can't answer that one. Because I think, Um, I, I lived in Stockholm for a couple of years, but I can't say that it, I mean, I think definitely, like, the experience of living there influenced the amount of time I was able to make work and how I was feeling when I made work. But I don't think, um, I don't think the place itself, I mean, it all, yeah, I mean, it all mixes in there to some point, but I, I can't, I personally can't pinpoint it.
2: All right. Instagram user Alvstagram asked, first few deeply influential comics?
3: Uh, I mean, it's probably definitely Tintin, just because it was read to me before I could read. And I just, um, I, I just, th- those were read to me over and over again. And I just, I love them. Uh, You know, although I can't go back to it now, I I find it kind of unreadable now, but it's a comic for kids, so I I don't, it shouldn't be readable to me now. Really, I mean, I think I just, like, uh, I I think I just read whatever comics were put in front of me. I'm trying to think what the one, I mean, it was just, it was like Tintin, and then there was just like a, well, I did, um, a, a friend of the family was a bookseller, and he had like, collections, he was, he was, um, I didn't know it at the time, but he was, Really, he really loved comics. And he had a bookstore that I would just spend time in. He had, uh, he had collections of early American comic strips that I would look at, and, and I, but I couldn't read them like little Nemo. Um, but I just like, I loved, um, pouring over them. And then, you know, when I was learning to read, I just, yeah, I had that, um, Jim Lee, Chris Claremont X-Men comic that I, I don't think it had much to do with that I couldn't read that well, that I didn't understand it. But I, I did try to, like, I tried to understand it over and over again, reading it, like, you know, in my limited ability to read, I tried to decipher what the hell was going on in it. I doubt I'd be able to understand it now, but I did. I was really excited by it. I, I thought it was really, really beautiful in its own weird way, and I connected it to Tintin just as another comic. But, uh yeah, I mean, I and I think, I, I don't know, like, I just remember, like, uh, just getting like a beat up copy of Bloom County uh, comic strips when I was a little kid and just reading that over and over again. But I don't think I wasn't really discerning at all. I think whatever comic I came across, I was naturally really interested in for whatever reason. God only knows why.
0: All right. <laughs> Second to last uh, question came from Instagram user reader JNTJR. I don't know how to pronounce that, but I know you write in a few times, so let Reader us know in the DMs. Reader Genter, yeah. Uh Domino Comics, have you had an absolutely weird comic submission too odd to print?
3: Um, no, I don't think so. I mean I, I think um I and I also like I mean, this is gonna be the most pretentious answer, but I don't think I mean people are always like talk about Domino publishing weird stuff or my own work being weird. I mean I I don't think um I think comics need to if you compare like the weirdest comic I've ever seen to like the weirdest piece of just art in general I've seen it's the comics are still pretty conservative. So um I'm I'm waiting for someone to send me the weirdest possible comic. You know, I think like there's this uh artist um who makes very like I I don't think his work is weird I want to stress but this artist uh, Rich uh, Richard Alexander, he does this series called Richie Vegas comics. Mm-hmm. He draws all his comics on paper plates, and um, but there's a real pulsating story to it, and the the way he tells, the way he puts images together, I've never seen someone make comics exactly that way. I guess you could say it's the strangest. I mean, he fo- you know he photocopies the paper plates, um, and he just draws in ballpoint pen, as far as I can tell. But I still don't, I mean, I think it's still, I don't know. I think even the weirdest comic is not all as weird as hopefully the future of weird comics will be.
2: All right. Uh, last question, and probably the most important question. Past guest, friend of the show, Nate Garcia Cartoons, asked, Austin, what did you have for breakfast today? Be honest.
3: Well, yeah, I wish I had a better answer, but well, okay, maybe I have a kind of good answer. I, I uh, uh, was teaching today, so I was in a rush. I just bought a protein bar, ate it well, as I was setting up class then when class was over, I went to um, this uh, this really good soup place in the East Village uh, that, you know, they, they, they sell like borscht and split pea soup and they make pierogies. So I had a um, split pea soup and uh, a tuna salad sandwich. And as I was sitting there... I sit down and the guy's working there and this place this is called b It's been around forever. And they're all like, we got him. East Village, we got him. And I was like, oh, I guess they're talking about the subway shooter. And I thought the guys working behind the counter were joking, saying that the East Village got him. I didn't know what they were talking about. But um, apparently an hour before I sat down there, I was on 2nd and 8th. And apparently the shooter had been, ap- uh, I was on, no, no, I'm sorry. I, yeah, St. Mark's. I was on St. Mark's and 2nd. That's where the diner was. And apparently, they'd arrested the guy an hour before on St. Mark's and First. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah,
2: the bodega. The
3: so it was yeah, just,
2: a bodega guy got him.
3: I, yeah, yeah. And I guess as weird, because he was like spotted at a McDonald's. I've passed by a million times on First Avenue. Uh, but then, yeah, I mean, that's where I heard that he had been apprehended. Was just a, a block away from where I was eating an hour before, um, so I, you know, yeah, not, uh yep. didn't really, <laughs> didn't really intersect with them, but I, that was an interesting. I mean, that was my first meal of the day, so I mean, I hope that's a that at least gives a story to to what I was eating.
2: Yeah, uh, mass shooter gets stopped by uh, Zach the bodega guy. Compared to NYPD's ten billion dollar annual budget, that did jack shit.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean. Yeah, well, let's... Uh, okay, we could do a whole other episode on that. <laughs> um, yeah. What was it we're going to oh, do? Yes. We're going to do an episode yeah. on, on two different things. On uh, I can't remember what the other thing was, but... Okay, I'll be back oh. for another six-hour episode. Uh,
2: <laughs> I think it would it was uh, Expressionist Painters, it, like oh, the oh, romanticizing drinking. of alcohol yeah. and, and that... Yeah, no, that would be a two-hour episode. Patreon oh, exclusive. Can't <laughs> <wait. I> can- <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. There was a, a really great ongoing joke online that uh, if the shoot had uh jumped the the fare station uh they might have caught him then but uh he Uh, did not so uh, but anyway
3: okay i'll I'll (laughs) save my i'll save my takes for the the pay-per-view patreon extravaganza money grab (laughs) yes
0: we love it well you're always welcome to come back but uh before we do get out of here today austin i know we kind of jokingly said it all where can people find you uh you know get your work and uh plug anything you need to
3: um, yeah, just go to, um, um, go to dominobooks.org and I think I try to make it as, um, inviting as possible. I think the website still looks like it's from 1993. Um, but hey, that, that's that coming was, back. Yeah, that was a, a nice phase of the internet and it's, it's very functional. Um, and I think most of, of what we do is, is explained there. And then all the descriptions of the books have, things written about them so it all comes from an approachable place and then yeah i mean on on twitter and on instagram at, at domino uh, comics but I, I think the site itself is more the site and the, the books you know maybe just yeah get a get a copy of of comic art and i think there's a lot of a lot of of me in, in all those things and, and the book meskin and Amezo. but those are all findable <laughs> on the website
0: hell yeah all righty. Well, uh, you know, we definitely want to thank you for giving us your time in the interview and uh, listeners, as always, stay gutter.
3: Thank you. It was so much fun.